Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and this week I have an episode that I think is really important to talk about, and I'll tell you why when I get started. But first, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. Last week, I got the most listens I have gotten to date, so thank you again so much. Keep liking, sharing. Don't forget about Storytime Slayer on Facebook. That is where I post all the relevant pictures and videos and any other information to coincide with each case each week. And don't forget to leave me a review. Five stars, please. But honesty is always the best policy. Okay, let's seriously jump in. Okay, so I am going to tell you about the death of Angela Wilder in North Dakota. The incident took place November of 2015 while her fiance, Chris Jackson, was working his overnight shift at the Walmart. Someone broke into their home and stabbed the pregnant mother 40 times in a blitz attack while she was asleep. So Angela Wilder grew up in Alabama. You know, I lived in Alabama once. I was actually a waitress at a truck stop and I had a very abusive boyfriend. I was broke as a joke. Um... Honestly, something about how she died and her being in from Alabama just really resonated with me. And I wanted to cover this story because it's a really deep and dark tale of domestic abuse. I myself am a survivor of domestic violence. And so this story just really spoke to me. And I think people really need to hear what so many people are afraid of happening to them. Okay. Anyway. So Angela had an older sister named Crystal, and for whatever reason, her mom, Linda, just totally decided to ditch Angela and Crystal's dad and just took care of the girls all on her own for a couple years. But after about two years, she met a really great guy named Russ who took on Angela and Crystal as his own kids. Their family became members of the LDS Church. So LDS stands for Church of Latter-day saints the mormons y'all i don't know what year that they joined the church but it sounds like angela and her sister were relatively young so angela is said to be kind but she could be really cutthroat if she needed to and she had a wicked sense of humor which makes me think i'd really like her i love a funny woman okay so she was very involved in school she made the honor roll and even though she attended seminary every morning before school so seminary is when kids that belong to the lds church they go to the church like one hour every morning before school starts to learn and talk about i don't know mormon stuff so angela was a really devout mormon no drugs no drinking they don't even drink caffeine you guys no tea ugh, no sex and angela played the saxophone for the marching band so don't gotta worry about sex right <laughs> did rotc and only went on group dates which is a mormon rule so she wasn't boy crazy there was only one guy that she dated seriously. His name was Christopher, but it didn't work out because he wasn't as academically motivated as she was. So they were kind of um, an unequal match. They were pretty hot and cold, though, but they eventually ended it for good when Angela went to college to pursue a nursing degree. While in college, Angela began dating a guy and she quickly became pregnant unexpectedly. So Angela was in college on an ROTC scholarship but it got revoked after her first semester because of her pregnancy. See, um, she had to go back home to Alabama 
And her baby daddy went with her, though, and they got married. They got married when she was like seven months pregnant. So she had this little girl September 9th, 2004. And then Angela and her baby daddy actually moved to New York. That's where her husband was originally from. But it didn't really pan out. He wasn't interested in taking care of a baby. So after about two years, Angela filed for divorce and full custody. And her first husband, Daniel, he just like let her go, signed away his rights, and that was it. So Angela and her daughter went back home to Alabama. When she got back to Alabama, a childhood friend sort of sparked Angela's attention. His name was Richie Wilder. Now, they'd never been sweet on each other as kids, but I don't know, something changed. Richie took in Angela's daughter as his own, and he was really loving and kind, and everyone was thrilled with the relationship at first. But let me tell you guys, this is going to get so messy. So the couple wed in the Mormon temple in 2009. So the Mormon temple is a sacred place. So only members that are baptized in the temple and abiding by the Mormon rules can go into the temple to see the wedding. It's not like open to the public. Angela was working part-time and in nursing school. And then suddenly Richie like couldn't figure out what he was doing. So he decided he wanted to join the military And to do this, they had to relocate to North Dakota for Richie's basic training. He was joining the Air Force. This was in 2010. And that June, not only did they move there, but they also found out that she was pregnant. This would be her second child. And they were so excited. So Angela actually worked at the military commissary store. And at first, things were great. She was bubbly and kind. But then there was like a weird shift in her attitude. She became distant and she cried all the time. Now, her coworkers weren't super close with her that worked there, but they could definitely tell something was wrong and it must be stemming from something going on at her house. And something was going on at her house. See, Richie became a fucking asshole. He started controlling her, belittling her, calling her fat while she was pregnant, just like a really mean nasty guy and in the middle of all this shit and her personal life falling apart Angela's family in Alabama was falling apart too apparently her mom had left her dad it's technically her stepdad but she feels like he's her dad so her mom left her dad because her mom decided that she was a lesbian and she'd actually been having a long time affair with her best friend (gasps) okay so for those of you that don't know Mormons for sure do not have a stamp of approval on being gay correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure they don't so at this point a really big wedge between Angela and her mom is formed her and her sister Crystal already had a really rocky relationship because Crystal went in a less devout Mormon direction at a young age so they just kind of weren't in sync so this just was like really sucked for Angela she's completely alone in North Dakota with Richie who's being a big asshole And now her mom's a lesbian, her family's broken apart, and she doesn't really have anybody to lean on. Plus, Richie starts cheating on Angela. So despite everything going on in their life, you know, she's pregnant, a baby's coming either way, right? So they have their son in 2011, and that is when it is alleged that the abuse escalated. Now that she wasn't pregnant, it turned from emotional abuse to physical abuse. Um... 
Richie was pretty manipulative and cunning. In 2011, he decided to file for divorce, and he actually turned it around and claimed Angela had been abusive to their daughter. He said that Angela was slapping the little girl in the face and calling her names like stupid and retarded, and he said she was basically belittling and abusing the girl. He also made insinuations that Angela was crazy. He said she was paranoid and needed medication because she thought that he was like cheating on her and doing all these shitty things. It was insane. Everybody who knew Angela just like straight up knew this was not the truth. But Angela didn't really know anybody in North Dakota. She didn't have any support system. So when Richie took his allegations to his military supervisors, they totally believed him. Richie has proven time and time again that he can pull the wool over his coworkers and supervisors' eyes. You will see what I'm talking about later, okay? So his military coworkers totally take his allegations serious, and with a pending divorce and custody of her children on the line, Angela had to take parenting classes with Child Protective Services, undergo counseling, anger management, and be on medication. I think she was on medication for depression and anxiety. And you know what? Richie didn't even want to go through with the divorce and asked Angela to come home. So she did. I mean, of course she did. She's afraid she's going to lose her kids. So y'all know what happens next. They had a very tumultuous relationship. February 3rd of 2012, Richie actually filed for divorce again, claiming that Angela had been abusing him. This time, though, Angela actually stood up for herself. She explained Richie was the abusive one. She said that he'd beat her so bad that she urinated on herself once. He would ask her for a hug and then pull her in and, like, put her in a chokehold. She was afraid to call 911 because Richie, she felt like, had the upper hand from what happened when they filed for divorce last time. Um, He had custody of the kids and everyone treated her like she was crazy. But... Amid their divorce, Richie took his abuse too far one day and he severely beat her up so bad that she actually had to go to the hospital a couple days later and the couple told doctors that she had fallen down two sets of stairs. Given the couple's history, this was suspicious and the kids were actually removed while military supervisors took a second look at the situation. Angela had documented her injuries though, so she had proof of his physical abuse. Richie said that he was defending himself against Angela's attack. Angela was removed from the military base and Richie was actually kicked out of the military. In May of 2012, a divorce was granted and the couple had joint custody one week with mom and one week with dad. So in 2013, Angela begged the court's permission to move back to Alabama with the kids because she had a whole life down there. And she promised that she would have them readily available for any type of visitation schedule, but the courts denied this request. But despite the messy relationship and messy divorce, by the end of the year, both Richie and Angela had actually moved on in 2013. Richie got married to a 21-year-old kindergarten teacher named Cynthia, and Cynthia sucks. And Angela had rekindled the relationship with her on-and-off-again boyfriend from high school, Christopher Jackson. This was the one that she broke up with because he wasn't as academically motivated. So she and Chris actually reconnected during a trip she made to Alabama. She became pregnant very soon after the trip and Chris moved to North Dakota to be with her. Richie and Cynthia got married and had a child in 2013 
And that same year, Angela and Chris had a son together and were soon to be married. So life went on because Angela and Richie had so much animosity that they could only communicate over email, which is crazy. It was court ordered. It was legally the only way they were allowed to communicate because they had such shitty communication. So now that we know who they are and how they got here, what the hell happened to Angela? It was Friday, November 13th of 2015. Yes, it was a Friday the 13th. Chris was afraid to drive due to an accident he'd had when he was younger. I don't know if he was in it or someone else. I don't know. So regardless, Angela always drove Chris to and from work. He worked the overnight shift at Walmart and he did this shift so he could be home with the kids while Angela attended her classes for her nursing program. So she's back in school. Woohoo. So on this night, Chris said that he woke up at like 8 p.m. from a nap. He showered, ate a plate of spaghetti, and was driven to work by Angela a bit before 11 p.m. When they talked uh, to Angela on his first break, she expressed that she was really nervous because she thought that she heard something outside. Chris tried to ease her nervousness and assured her it was probably nothing. They spoke again on his lunch break around 2 a.m. Angela was actually up studying for her nursing exam. Chris urged her and urged her to get some sleep. And between lunch and his second break, he actually missed a call from her. He tried to call her back around five, but she didn't answer. So he assumed she probably finally got some rest. Chris got off work at 7 a.m. And Angela was always there on time to pick him up. But that morning, she didn't show up at all. Chris just kept calling her and calling her, but she wasn't answering. He ultimately got a ride from a taxi cab home. The taxi cab driver misunderstood the directions and actually dropped him off at the neighbor's house. Chris tried to knock on the window over and over to wake up Angela, but she didn't wake up. So Chris did not even have a key to the front door on him, which I don't think is that strange because he never drives. So whoever's driving him probably locks the house up, right? They live in North Dakota, so it's not like he's walking very many places in November. When Angela didn't answer the phone or his knocks, he went around to the house and saw that their back door was actually wide open. Um, And this immediately freaked him out because Angela was so strict about always locking up the doors at night. Sometimes she even locked her bedroom door when she was asleep. Chris did not even go inside because it was so bizarre that their door was open. He actually stopped and immediately called 911. That is really weird to me, but it's not the first time that I've heard of someone seeing their door open and calling the police before they go into their house. Police came and they did a search of the house. Chris and Angela's son was in his bed totally fine, so police brought him out to Chris. Um, Angela's daughter was actually at the dad Richie's house. Angela wasn't okay, though. When police entered her bedroom, it was a really, really grisly sight. There was blood all over the sheets And at first she couldn't see Angela because she was on the floor on the opposite side of the bed. It was apparent that she'd been stabbed and fought for her life, but they didn't know the exact cause of death or how many times she'd been stabbed. By the way, Angela was in the very early stages of pregnancy with her fourth child. Chris realized something was really wrong when they brought out his son, but Angela never came out of the house, especially when paramedics kept going inside and outside. Um, He became distraught and he almost became completely belligerent. So Chris is asked to come to the station, of course, and tell them what all he could about 
them as a couple and the timeline leading up to the 911 call. Chris gave him the whole timeline that I told you guys. Waking up, going to work, talking to Angela, her not being there, blah, 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 blah. Then they dove into their life and who could possibly do this. Chris's mind automatically went to Richie. He said that at first he assumed Angela and Richie were both at fault and just like crazy and angry at each other. But as time went on, he said that he could actually tell Richie was in fact a piece of shit. He was controlling, domineering, and manipulative. Chris was sure it had to be Richie who killed Angela. Police asked Chris to submit to a polygraph test. He says yes with no hesitation and passed with flying colors. After Chris relayed to Angela's family that she'd been murdered, they were constantly calling investigators to also point the finger at Richie. So, of course, police go talk to Richie and ask him to come to the station. While there, they also get a search warrant to search Richie's vehicles. This was good police work to search Richie's vehicles so quickly. When they searched the Prius, this is the car that his wife Cynthia typically drove, it was extremely clean. Like, it had obviously been detail cleaned recently. But there was one little tiny spot that looked like blood. So the police went ahead and took a swab of it just to save as evidence just in case. So... In the meantime, in Richie's interview, he was extremely nervous. His leg was shaking, he was talking fast, he was rambling, and just very, very vague when describing things like his timeline, what he'd been doing, things like that. And when they asked Richie if he knew what happened at Angela's, he said that his wife, Cynthia, saw that there was police and crime scene tape at Angela's house that morning when she drove by. But um, they didn't know who died, if it was Angela or the baby. And they, they didn't even think to really, you know, bother to look into it. In fact, police looked at Richie's phone record and internet history. And he didn't seem to care about whatever happened at Angela's house because he was watching Asian porn all morning. When Richie described his and Angela's turbulent relationship leading to the divorce, he denied ever putting hands on Angela. Richie said that night, by the way, he was a CNA after being kicked out of the military. So he said that night he got off work at 11 p.m. and went to home where he was there all night and his wife, Cynthia, could corroborate this. Police were so sketchy about Richie because his behavior was weird. They thought it was weird that he saw cops and crime scene tape and didn't look into it. Plus, he had this big scratch across his face. And when they asked him about it, he said that his son scratched him when they were play fighting. And he was really vague about it. So something else that was really sketchy is when they told Richie Angela died, he literally had nothing to say. He asked no questions and he had no response. Not like how, why. Richie said it wasn't him and he hadn't even ever been to Angela's house. He agreed to let them do a search of his home and said that he would come back the next day for a polygraph, which... He never did and refused to do later. Police collect DNA samples from both Chris and Richie. So police are looking into Richie and Chris, their alibis. Um, they look through all the footage at Walmart. While they're looking into them, they're also combing through the crime scene and getting a medical examination done on Angela. The main evidence they had was nail clippings from Angela that would hopefully have DNA under them from her assailant a blood swab from Richie's Prius, and both the men's DNA. All the results and comparisons would take several weeks to come back, though. 
In the meantime, they go to Richie's job. And surprisingly, he was really well liked at work. He was really well liked. In fact, he was having two affairs with different coworkers. And they were both under the impression that Richie wanted to leave his wife for them. And they were both actively trying to get pregnant with his baby. On top of those two affairs, he was also having a long-distance affair with an old girlfriend who, too, thought that they were working to be together forever. So this dude is insane. Okay, another less endearing quality about Richie was he watched a ton of porn. So December 11th, the blood sample in the Prius comes back, and it is, in fact, a match to Angela. December 17th, a week later, her nail clippings come back and they're a match to Richie. So his DNA was under Angela's nails and they now had a suspect with a motive, opportunity, and evidence. So they arrest Richie and for three months, Richie would not say a word while he was in jail. But for whatever reason, on March in 2016, he finally had something to say. He says, going back to last October, Christopher met Richie at the school to exchange the children. And during the exchange, Chris gave Richie a picture of Angela with the kids that they shared custody of. See, Angela and Richie had an agreement in their divorce that neither one of them were allowed to take the children out of state. And this picture that Chris showed Richie proved Angela had taken the kids out of state. So, okay, Chris shows Richie this photo and he's like, hey, dude, um... I think Angela's having an affair. If you could pick me up from work and drive me to my house to catch her in the act, I will testify in court that Angela took the children out of state. And that way you can get full custody of your kids back. And in exchange for that, I want full custody of the kids that I share with Angela. So I'll testify for you if you come catch Angela cheating and you testify for me. And Richie was like, deal. So Chris gave Richie the photo of Angela out of state with the children. I guess it had some type of like, it must have had some big location behind them or a sign or something to prove that they were out of state. And so Chris gives Richie that picture and a burner phone. And then Richie tells police that on November 15th, Chris called the burner phone. Richie uh, got out of bed, drove to pick Chris up from work. The two men drove to Chris and Angela's home. They snuck into the bedroom and they found Angela in bed, but there was no other man there. She was in bed with a body pillow and Chris got so mad that he, in a fit of rage, began stabbing Angela over and over and over. Chris then pulled Angela to the ground and he just kept going. And when Chris finally stopped, Richie went to go check on Angela and that's when she scratched him and her last dying words were to Richie and she said, I love you. Richie said he couldn't tell anyone before because Chris threatened to kill Richie's family and to prove it to police that this story is in no way a lie. Richie produced a photo of his kids out of state with Angela and he's like, this is the picture Chris gave me. That's his proof. But here's the thing. Police had already thoroughly and thoroughly and thoroughly combed through Walmart security footage the night before and there was no way that Chris left work he did not leave to kill Angela there's so much security footage of him at work and on the doors so police end up following up and re-interviewing Chris even though they 
they knew Chris was at work from the surveillance video. They just needed to make sure that there was no way Richie was telling the truth. In fact, if you looked back on the photo Richie gave police, it had the date that the photo was printed at Walmart. And the photo was printed after Angela died. See, Chris had printed a bunch of photos of Angela and memories that she had with her children to which he gave to various people just, you know, to have and to mourn and to look back on later. He also gave those to Angela's children, the ones that she shared with Richie, just so that they would have the memories. So that is how Chris got that photo. Um, And as far as the burner phone goes, uh, Chris said that was just straight up a lie. They never could find any proof of a burner phone. And so Chris was ruled out again. Not that they ever really thought Richie was telling the truth. So some time passes. Dude, and Richie changes his story again because the first one just wasn't cutting it. So he said that Chris did offer to testify for Richie if Richie would testify for him. And then on November 15th, Richie got a message from Chris at like 1.15 in the morning that everything was taken care of. Not sure what that meant. Richie decided to drive to Angela's. And that's when he saw that the back door was open. So that is how he got into the house that night. And when he got to Angela's room, there was blood everywhere. And Angela was on the floor dying. So when he went to check her pulse, she she like awoke and went to scratch him. And then when her last breath, she again said, I love you. Then suddenly Richie felt something on his back and it was a gun. And then he heard a cell phone ringing in Angela's closet and a second man emerged and answered the phone and said, it's done. And they walked Richie out of Angela's house at gunpoint and into his car and when he got into his car the other two men came also and they told him that they know who his wife and kids are where they lived and they were going to kill Richie if he said anything Richie says that he just went home laid in bed till 4 a.m had sex with his wife and that was it okay As time passed while Richie was in jail, he then decides to elaborate this story. He has now actually found the man who killed Angela, the one who was at her house that night, and Chris was setting him up. And he met this man in jail with him, okay? It was a guy named Paul, I think. I hope. I don't know. I don't want to F this up because it's a little confusing. But long story short, there was this guy named, we'll call him Paul, in jail with Richie. And Richie said Paul admitted that he and another man killed Angela. Paul wrote out this entire confession, signed it, and gave it to Richie before he got out of jail. Richie was immediately called out for forging this written confession from a guy he was in jail with. Which he did actually very quickly admit that, no, this Paul guy did not write it. He actually wrote it down, but he swears it's the truth. So in the meantime, Richie bailed out a guy named Adam. Adam was in jail with a co-defendant for drug charges. So only Adam made bail. His co-defendant was still in jail with Richie, right? And Richie said, okay, Adam, I'm going to bail you out because you're going to go kill this Paul guy for me so I can set it up to look like he's the one who killed Angela because, you know, Chris is obviously setting me up. And in the meantime, I'm going to talk your co-defendant into taking all the charges for you. Dude, Adam was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, bail me out of jail. And yeah, that's fine. I'll totally go kill somebody for you. Obviously, Adam just wanted out of jail and he found a sucker. 
So Adam gets out of jail and he in no way follows up with his plans to kill Paul. So police, though, are listening to phone calls. And that's how they get all this information. Because, you know, phone calls are recorded in jail. And I guess Richie didn't know that. So they decide just to check on Paul, make sure he's still alive, and see if he any way, shape, or form had helped Richie, if Richie's story was in any way valid. And on their own, police were able to completely rule Paul out of this. And you know what? Adam is not the only Sully that Richie bailed out in hopes that he could set someone up as Chris's hitman to prove that Chris was setting Richie up, not Richie trying to set Chris up. This is awful. So none of them panned out, though. Nobody would would go kill Paul. It was a total shit show. Um, The prosecution believed that Richie actually stalked Angela, and one night while Chris was at work, he just broke in and attacked her in her sleep, killing her and her unborn baby in cold blood. He stabbed her over 40 times. The defense went with Richie's second story that he and Chris had an agreement to work together to get full custody of their kids. But what really happened was that Chris hired two drug dealers, something Richie just pulled out of thin air, and he offered the drug dealers 20000 each to kill Angela. And the reason he texted Richie, it's taken care of, was to lure Richie to Angela's and frame Richie for Angela's murder, which... Typically, it's taken care of means you don't need to show up, but okay, let's get real, y'all. Richie just out himself at the crime scene, okay? He gave two false confessions, placed himself at the scene. He's got Angela's blood in his car. He's got a scratch on his forehead. His DNA's under multiple fingernails. Like, what? The jury was only out on deliberation for an hour, before finding him guilty. Now, there's no death penalty in North Dakota, so Richie was sentenced to life in prison without parole. But guess what? This is not the end, okay? About, and, and this is juicy. Like, this is some real tea. So about a year after the trial, Richie's wife, Cynthia, had reconnected with an old flame of hers on Facebook. So she had really, really liked this guy before, but I don't think that he was ever really into her. I think she was always just a booty call to him. So Cynthia is messaging this guy that she's got a big crush on from back in the day on Facebook, and she starts saying really cryptic things. First, she said that police never found the knife, clothing, or shoes, and that if Richie kept his mouth shut none of this would have happened. She said that she kept her mouth closed this whole time. So this guy doesn't really know what to say back to her. He just says a knife is a dumb way to kill someone. And she responds to that with, well, it's supposed to be a gun, not a knife, but Richie fucked it up. Uh, Bravo for the man she's talking to, right? Because he gets... He gets the chills and he immediately calls up police and tells them what this lady just told him. And police were like, can you go undercover and meet with her with a wire? And he was really reluctant, but he agreed. So he meets up with Cynthia on May 15th, 2017. He told her that he was coming to town to visit some friends. And Cynthia was so excited to see him. They had regular conversation until the end of the night. And that is actually when the bomb dropped. Cynthia said that she was proud of her husband and that herself and Richie planned the murder for two years. 
She explained Angela put up quite the fight and scratched Richie's face. She was mad he didn't think about the DNA evidence under Angela's nails. And if it had been her, she would have cut Angela's fingers off or burned them or set the house on fire. Remember, Angela had a son there, and she's talking about setting the house on fire. Cynthia fully believed whatever BS Richie said about Angela was true and that Angela was abusive to her kids and blah, blah, blah. So Cynthia fully believed Angela deserved to die. Cynthia was the one who stalked Angela, and she admitted to planning it with Richie and helping with the cleanup. Cynthia's recorded conversation was enough for an arrest on charges of conspiracy to commit murder. Cynthia tried to say that she was exaggerating and only saying this to impress the guy she was on a date with. Um, I, I, that is a shocking way to try to impress somebody. Like, that's really pulling out all the stops. But, of course, nobody believed Cynthia. So, Cynthia was offered a plea deal of 25 years. She refused it. She tried to go with an Alfred plea. So, an Alfred plea is like when someone basically maintains they're innocent, but knows that there is enough evidence to likely find them guilty. So, they're like, I won't fight it. And they usually do this in hope of a lesser sentence. But it did not work in her favor. In fact, she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Whoo! Yes, so glad justice was done on Cynthia. What a case, guys. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.